This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge. Distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Gianluca Stringini. He's an assistant professor at Boston University and is author of the Adversarial Behaviors Knowledge Area. Yeah, so generally speaking, we've seen essentially a rise in the use of technology and uh, technology started um, influencing everybody's life and uh, critical activities as well. And that sort of um, uh, was followed by uh, the rise of a number of malicious activities that use technology. Uh, So when we talk about adversarial behaviors, we're talking about all sorts of malicious activities that have been happening or are happening uh, with the use of technology. Uh, And this goes from um, uh, interpersonal type of attacks, so, uh, you know, cyberbullying, stalking, harassment, and all these kinds of things, to um, cybercrime, so people actually using technology for profit, to profit from their victims, all the way to um, cyber warfare, espionage, you know, state-sponsored type of activity. So this document kind of covers all these areas, provides an overview uh, of uh, of all these areas and the research that has been done to study them. And then it goes into um, looking at essentially approaches that have been proposed to model them and better understand what's going on. Well, let's go through some of the various types of uh, behaviors together. I mean, you start off here going through some of the interpersonal offenders. Uh, What are we covering here? Yeah, so essentially, you know, abusive abusive activity has been uh, pervasive in human societies. If we think about, you know, bullying, harassment, uh, stalking, all these kind of things. The problem is that technology makes it more serious, at least for what concerns the rich. So suddenly there is no need for uh, physical contact to be, you know, harassed or targeted and so on. Uh, There is just a need for a... um, technological medium between the victim and the perpetrator, which can be a social network, can be a chat, and so on and so forth. So here, what I'm talking about is uh, uh, essentially this kind of what I call interpersonal threats that can um, uh, that can happen with the help of technology. And so we're talking about cyberbullying, uh, where actually uh, the victim is repeatedly harassed by uh, by a perpetrator, we're talking about doxing, where the perpetrator is uh, releasing pub- uh, private information about the victim with the goal of uh, uh, harming them or uh, attracting additional harassment, which can also be uh, physical. So, for example, they might post uh, their uh, their home address, and uh, you know somebody might suddenly turn up at, at that address, and so on. We are looking at cyber stalking, where people are actually following people online and uh, sort of harassing them that way. And then we get to more, um, you know, serious crimes, which can have serious repercussions in the physical world. And these would be, um, for example, sextortion, in which people are actually blackmailed about releasing uh, private pictures and things like that, all the way to child predation, in which, you know, groomers are trying to groom children online and then... uh, uh, you know, possibly uh, perform uh, actually uh, physical harm to them. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me that these are, for the most part, um, things that existed in the pre-online world, but um, the ability, I suppose, partly the anonymity that comes with uh, with being online has made them easier or um, or uh, faster to do. Yeah, there is an, an anonymity component, definitely, and there is research showing that these generate some sort of disinhibition. So, you know, people wouldn't necessarily uh, openly act uh, toxic in uh, in real life, in person, but actually being online and being anonymous removes some of these inhibitions. Uh, and also it becomes easier to um, find victims for some of these malicious activities uh, as well as find uh, uh, accomplices. So if we're, if we're talking about a coordinated harassment campaign, what perpetrators are often doing is just posting information on uh, public forums and whatnot. And then people who are interested in performing this attack or in participating into this attack will just join, which is something that in the physical world is, uh, you know, wasn't happening as much. Well, let's move on to, to some of the actual uh, criminals, the, the folks who are uh, setting out to uh, to perform crimes to knowingly do so. What are some of the categories that we're covering here? Yeah, essentially, um, cyber criminology research identified two broad areas here, uh, one being uh, what is called cyber-enabled crime and the other one being called uh, cyber-dependent crime. And so cyber-enabled are basically all those crimes that uh, used to happen in the real world and that they were simply made uh, easier to perform by uh, you know, the internet or technology in general. While cyber-dependent are new threats that actually became possible with the use of technology. So, for example, in the cyber-enabled category, we have advanced fee fraud, which is where essentially victims are uh, defrauded, scammed, and uh, the perpetrator pretends to have uh, you know, some financially rewarding or otherwise rewarding proposition, and the victim is defrauded to give them money to uh, get these benefits. And this can be anything from, um, you know, you won the lottery and I want, uh, you know, I I need some money to process uh, the fees to actually give you the money, uh, up to um, dating scams, in which actually the the perpetrator is pretending to be uh, someone else, starts a romantic relationship with the victim, and eventually will make up a story uh, in which you know they need money and whatnot, potentially to come visit the victim or whatever, and after the victim pays, they disappear. Then if we move to, um, to the cyber-dependent crime, we actually have uh, other types of activity which you know, do not have a clear parallel in the physical world. And examples here include uh, uh, email spam, where actually uh, an entire economy emerged behind essentially junk email that was sent to to people uh, selling, you know, counterfeit goods and all these kinds of things. And these wouldn't be possible without technology. It would be completely unfeasible to run an operation like that without um, the internet, which basically makes it possible to potentially contact everybody in the world for free, right? And then we have other types of crimes, uh, you know, financial malware, where... um, malicious software is installed on a victim computer and uh, 
the criminals are stealing, you know, credit card numbers, bank credentials, and all these kind of things, and then they later on use them for for profit, all the way to um, uh, to ransomware, which is when uh, malicious software is actually encrypting the victim's data, and the criminals ask for money to decrypt this data and give access back to the victim. And so this is something that uh, is completely cyber-dependent. It doesn't have um, uh, a parallel in the physical world. Uh, and it's also potentially the, um, the golden standard of cybercrime these days because there is not really a good mitigation that has been proposed against this. And the reason is that you know, once your data is encrypted, if you really need that data, chances are that you will pay the ransom if you have no alternative. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you also highlight uh, that some criminals are not motivated by money, and those are the hacktivists. Yeah, so traditional cybercrime is motivated by money, so the criminals want to make a profit. And that can be used for mitigation purposes, because essentially any mitigation that is developed is designed to reduce the profit of a criminal. And at a certain point, you know, the, the criminal operation will not be profitable anymore and the criminals will stop doing that. However, there are other types of malicious activity or crime that are not necessarily linked to money. And one of these categories are hacktivists who are driven by a political purpose. And so we've seen many of these activities, you know, they might perform denial of service attacks against uh, companies or governments, you know, trying to essentially promote a political message. They might perform data leaks, so they might be stealing data, private information from entities, which can be organizations, governments, and whatnot, and then just put them in the private domain to basically shame these entities, again, for a political reasons, to uh, to further their agenda. Uh, and another one are uh, uh, web defacements, in which actually they're compromising a website of a company, a government agency, and whatnot, and they're substituting the homepage with any sort of political message that they're supporting. So in this case, there is not really uh, a monetary incentive. And so the way in which people or law enforcement or whatnot can deal with that uh, suddenly changes because mm -hmm. the motivation of attackers is, is so different. What about state actors? What about uh, when nations themselves uh, are out there uh, looking to do some of the things that they do? Uh, yeah, another category of uh, malicious actors are uh, so-called state actors. And these are essentially attackers that are sponsored by a national state, and so they want to further the, the agenda of that uh, nation state. And here again, there is no monetary incentive. So... Uh, the attacks take a very different shape than what we've seen in commodity cybercrime. Specifically, these actors have, uh, well, virtually unlimited money, so they can just, you know, develop their attacks in a way that's much more sophisticated than uh, commodity cybercrime. And also, they typically go after single entities who can be, uh, you know, prominent figures or uh, organization and whatnot. So they can really tailor their attacks to these entities. While in the commodity cybercrime case, we see that the interest of the attacker, since they are motivated in money, is to actually essentially compromise as many people as possible. So their attacks need to be as generic as possible. 
And so this makes uh, mitigation much more difficult because suddenly each attack is different and each attack is very sophisticated. And the way these attacks are actually used is to either perform sabotage, you know, take down some critical service of a country or whatnot. The prominent example here would be Stuxnet in a uranium enrichment facility in Iran was actually targeted and uh, sabotaged. And, uh, you know, the whole thing actually uh, is thought uh, to have taken back the um, nuclear program of Iran by two years. And the other one would be uh, espionage. So in espionage, actually, these state actors are uh, stealing, basically, sensitive information, confidential information, and then they can use it for um, intelligence purposes or uh, things like that. Now, when these adversaries are putting together these uh, programs, when when they're doing their planning and uh, they're organizing, what sort of elements do they have to put together? What what sort of uh, resources do they need? Yeah, so talking about these operations, they might sound uh, reasonably straightforward, but actually there is a lot that needs to be put together to carry them out. Uh, And this has to do with anything from... uh, actual uh, equipment. So we can talk about, you know, physical servers, we can talk about domain names and all these things that are, you know, purely technological, all the way to uh, ways to actually infect and compromise victims. So we are talking about uh, malicious programs that can go and uh, exploit vulnerabilities in the victim system to infect them with malware uh, and all these kind of things. And then there are also softer elements that uh, need to be there for the entire operation to turn a profit. And here I'm talking about the um, commodity cybercrime case in which the the offender is actually interested in making money. And so there are, for example, affiliate programs that are dealing with payments, are dealing with uh, making sure that, you know, if victims are buying fraudulent products in uh, an email spam scenario, these products will actually be shipped. In the case of uh, offenders who are actually dealing with uh, social media, they need to create fake social network accounts, for example. There need to be a group of people who are actually able to create these accounts. There need to be people who are able to you know, solve the CAPTCHAs when uh, the accounts are created to demonstrate that they're not robots and all these kinds of things. So there is essentially an entire constellation of uh, entities that revolves around these malicious operations some dealing with uh, very technical aspects, but some others also dealing with, uh, you know, more human and social aspects. Yeah, and the paper uh, is really helpful in going through um, some of the uh, various elements uh, that, uh, some some of the models that are helpful to use to understand some of these operations, things like attack trees and kill chains, Mm -hmm. uh, attribution, and and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and, and I recommend that folks uh, dig in and, and check those out. Um, what I'm curious is, uh, what do you hope people come away from when they read this paper? What do you hope some of the take-homes are for people? Uh, I think the, the main takeaway should be that these operations are very complex and uh, that usually there is much more than uh, uh, it strikes the eye. So we, we used to think, especially as computer scientists, that uh, these attacks are uniquely based on, you know, exploiting vulnerabilities, running malicious code, and so on and so forth. But actually, there is much more. Especially in the commodity malware case, there is much more that needs to make an operation successful. 
that deals with monetization, deals with uh, uh, delivering products, deals with avoiding detection, and so on and so forth. And often when uh, developing mitigations against these operations, the most effective uh, elements to target are not the technological ones. And this is something that is often uh, uh, overlooked, especially by, by the tech community and by the computer science community. But I think that actually uh, it's something that should always be kept in mind. So these are kind of holistic operations that go from a very technical component to a purely economical, social, financial component. And they should be uh, looked at uh, in their entirety. Our thanks to Gianluca Stringini for joining us. You can check out the complete adversarial behaviors knowledge area on the Cybok website, cybok.org. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Programme and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The Cybok podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.